You're listening to a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. Hi, I'm Amanda Stock. I'm one of the emergency consultants from the Children's Hospital. And today I'm speaking with Sophie Caravaris from Allied Health, who's a child life therapist. And we're going to be talking about the developmental and language considerations when we work with children and young people. Um, We'll also share um, some of the resources that we have um, to allow children and their families to have a more comfortable, safe time when they're in hospital. Um, Sophie, thank you for being here today. Hi, Amanda. My pleasure. Um, So we know that coming to hospital um, can be a really overwhelming experience for patients and their families. Um, There's a loss of control. It's an unfamiliar environment. And we're also looking after patients between babies up to 18 years of age. What are the developmental considerations that we need to take into account when we're looking after children? Yeah, children right from infants right through to adolescence um, will will respond to hospital and illness differently depending on their age, their prior hospital experiences, Mm. their personal coping mechanisms and so forth. So when planning interventions, we do need to take into account the developmental level of that child and what's important to them based on on their developmental level and age. So just as an example, say we've got a 14-month-old requiring an insertion of IV procedure The most important thing developmentally to that 14-month-old is parental contact. So it's important, I guess, to facilitate the parental involvement in in that procedure. So it could be something as simple as giving the parent a job to do or introducing comfort positioning or getting Mm -hmm. them to sing their child a a favourite song to their child. Um, Also, for toddlers and young children, sitting upright can promote a greater sense of control. Yes, yes. That's so important, isn't it? Because when they're lying down, they just, again, feel really powerless, don't they? Yeah, and it's a much more threatening position, laying flat. So if we can get them sitting upright during procedures and interventions, it does wonders to promote that that greater sense of control. And it sounds like such an obvious thing to do to have a child sitting up, but, um, you know, so often the practice is, is to lie children down and wrap them and, and we know that that just gives them absolutely no sense of control. Yes, definitely. So mm. we would advocate for the opposite. I think a group that is fairly challenging are the preschool mm. age children mm. who start to get quite cranky and may not necessarily cooperate when we want to say insert an IV and that can be quite confronting for the proceduralist. How can how can we assist families and children in that sort of situation? Yeah, I guess um, preschool age, kinder age, um, children can be quite egocentrical yeah. and also starting to develop this sense that they need to be in control. Yes. So by giving them jobs to do and involving them in the procedure, that's really important and something I would recommend for that age So group. what sort of jobs could you give them? So even things like um, letting them explore the procedure room beforehand, mm-hmm. just allowing time for that, even letting them operate the bed controls. Yes, yes. Or um, giving them a chance to say, you know, put the tourniquet on their dolly first or yep. something like that and explaining things using developmentally appropriate language and so forth. So... And, you know, the other thing I, I think that, that I've learned yeah. from the child life therapists is around, um, you know, do you want to sit on mum or do you want to sit on the bed and always making sure that the choice is something that's reasonable. Yeah, yeah. and giving choices is a great way of 
offering them some control, but of mm. course offering a choice only if there is one. Yeah. But wherever you can, even if it's, you know, who, whose lap do you want to sit on, who's going to be the support person in the room and giving the child a chance to choose. Um, also giving them a, a chance to choose, for example, the pulse oximeter, which yeah. finger, is yeah. it going to be in yes. your, your foot or your hand, any opportunity you can yeah. to give them that choice just to involve them and, and so forth is definitely beneficial. And Sophie, you were telling me last week about um, a little girl that you were working with um, who was flatly refusing to have her ears examined and it was really vital that the doctor was able to do that examination. How did you work with um, that particular girl? Yeah, so she was actually a four-year-old mm. and, and when I walked into the room in that instance, um, she was covering her ears mm -hmm. and she was teary and so yeah, forth. Yeah. So I kind of, I just noticed, I looked around and noticed that she had a toy unicorn in mum's bag yes. um, sticking out Unicorns there. all the rage now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just kind of asked if I could be introduced to her yeah. friend. So out came the unicorn. I noticed her sparkly ears, so mm -hmm. I just commented about that. And then I asked if I could use the torch um, from the doctor just mm -hmm. to kind of look at Unicorn's ears, which she allowed me to. And then from that, I turned it into a turn-taking activity. So yeah. I got the, the doctor to have a look in the eyes just so that the, um, the child, I guess through medical play, can explore what's going to happen. And it's almost a bit safer as yeah. well. And then and, and children in general can be quite um, concrete thinkers. So they need to, to explore themselves of, of what's going to happen and so forth. So... Um, through that turn-taking, I gave the child then an opportunity to have mm. a look at her unicorn's ears. And by doing that, you know, in that instance, she was physically holding something and exploring and, and doing that where one minute earlier she wasn't having a bar of that at all, but it just made it that safe, that so little bit safer for her yes. um, to explore. And then from that, I got her to sit up on mum's lap as well, just to, to involve the, care, the main caregiver and the person that that child trusts the most as well. And then from that, um, the doctor was able then to examine her ears with, with the child holding um, the torch as well. So just giving her um, that control and, and also praising her then for doing such a good job helping yes. the doctor yeah. and you're doing such a good job staying still. So being very direct with our praise as well. Yes. I'm not just saying, oh, you're doing a great job, but what are you doing a great job doing? Yes. Because, you know, children, they do like to be the helper as well um, and so forth. So giving her praise for that as well. So. Yes, yeah. I, I've noticed um, that parents often tend to do a better job um, with calming their children when mm. they have a job to do. Oh, yes. Um, and, you know, often asking them to hold the book or hold the iPad. Mm. So it kind of works for, for both, doesn't it? You know, parent and child. Definitely. And when whenever we work with children and say we're preparing them for a procedure, we're inadvertently preparing the parents exactly. as well. And that's a great thing too. And yes. obviously, you know, it's not just the child who may be out of control in the situation, but it's also the parents, the caregivers, the family. Yes. And um, yes. that's a, a great thing there about that you mentioned about giving the parents a job to do. And it doesn't matter what it is. It could be just holding their, their child's hand. Yes. It could be getting them to sit on their lap and singing them a favourite song. It could be getting them to hold the distraction pad um, that also acts as a visual block yes. during a procedure and then yes. redirecting them that way. It could be counting together. Sometimes I'll notice during a procedure a parent might be anxious and teary themselves, so mm. I'll bring them into, into it as well. Oh, let's do some counting together with mum. One, two, and then it gives the parent something to focus on and, and they're calming together and that sort of thing. So, yes, it's yeah. kind of, you know, achieving calm for for everyone and oh, we've all been in rooms where mm. we've uh 
known that things may not necessarily go so well because the parent has got such a high degree of anxiety and, you know, the children just pick up on that, don't they? Oh, definitely. They? And I think an important concept um, that child life therapists use in our work is this idea of one voice yes, as well. Yes, yes. And it, it is something we try to promote and always have a discussion about with the parents beforehand, even if we only have a minute or two before the procedure. So who's the one voice? So the whole idea with that is, or it doesn't necessarily have to mm. be the parent or the doctor, mm. but it's about having that discussion beforehand so that's clear to everybody and it's it's completely okay for the for the parent to be that second voice of comfort and reassurance as well. Um, but in a procedure, sometimes, you know, there might be multiple staff involved, yeah. multiple caregivers and the child and everyone has the best interests of the child. Mm. So everyone might be, you know, saying things to try to reassure the child. But you can, as you can understand, if you've got three or four people all trying to speak to the child at the same time and get them to calm and so forth, then everyone's noise level kind of just increases. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then the child, for the child, it's quite confusing. Like, who, who am I going to focus on and yes. that sort of stuff? And it can yeah. become more distressing. So just trying to promote that calmer environment by just having one person speaking at a time and and that sort of thing so sure sure we we were also then kind of I think one of our biggest challenges is around um how do we explain things to um, families and children and um the importance of how we use our language Mm. why is it so important that we use positive language in our work yeah, I guess um, there's this idea called the nocebo effect. So basically, nocebo, nocebo yeah, yeah. yeah. opposite of placebo. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if we if you're expecting a negative outcome, mm. then you're more likely to have one. Mm. So even saying something like, "Oh, just a little ouchy," I mean, ouchy is negatively loaded. Mm. So I've seen children respond just to a collector or someone saying that word as opposed to there's no needle actually going in or anything, there's nothing happening, but they're responding to that negative language because they're expecting something negative. Mm. So that's why it's important just to keep, um, you know, use affirmative phrasing as much as possible and also take... So what would you, what would you yeah. say, you know, what would you suggest if when we're, when we're putting the, the IV in, in yep. you know, most people will say, oh, I'm putting the needle in now, yep. a bit ouch, a bit of a sting. What would be yeah. some of your suggestions? Well, if I'm doing um, preparation with mm. the child, I describe the needle as the helper to yeah. help the straw yeah. get in. So that's a bit more positive. Mm-hmm. And I try sometimes, you know, families and parents in the background can be focused on the word needle and yes. stuff. So I do, I do kind of on the side just say we don't have to use that word repeatedly in front of the child and then I'll explain um, what's going to ha- happen. So just say, for example, they have angel cream mm. that's been applied. I might um, take notice of that and then mm. I'll ask them uh, their level of understanding, particularly that sort of five and up, yeah. and I'll ask them, do you know what the job of the angel mm. cream is? And then we explain that the job of the angel cream is to help that little area of skin go to sleep or make yeah. it numb yeah. just for a short time, not forever, um, so that when it's time to have, say, the blood test, or put the IV in, um, they may not feel it as much. Mm. And then if a child um, probes me further mm. and um, worries that perhaps um, it all it might the hurt. questions. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because yeah, they'll always, so yeah. often they say, Does it, is it going to yeah. hurt? Yeah, yeah. And at that point, I then redirect them to, and a, a good suggestion is to, to mention what other children have mm. experienced. So at that time I might say, look, you know, some children say they can feel it, but mm-hmm. some children say they can't feel it as much, and some children say they can't feel it at all. Mm-hmm. So I'm not actually lying; that's the truth. Yeah. Um, but it's 
it's using words which aren't negatively loaded and, and, and more positive and so forth. And then I'll put it back to, well, why don't you tell me when it's your time? And then I'll redirect them then to strategies that we've practised just before um, that may be helpful. So, you know, but things you can do to, to help even more, not just the angel cream, but we could be wriggling your toes. We could yes. be singing a song. We could be remembering to take our big breaths in and out or squeezing the squishy ball. And then just trying to, to plant the seed to that there is another yeah. option. Another path another to go path. down rather than to yeah. focus on Yeah, and we don't know, you know, what yeah. it's going to be like now. So You can yeah. take yourself to another place yeah, that's more yeah. comfortable yeah, for you yeah. while we put your trip in. Exactly. Yeah. And that's also giving the child some control yes. as well because it's, you know, they might be um, things that they've practised or that, that they're willing yes. to give a go. And yes, because so sometimes they're coming with their own resources. Oh, yeah, totally. So talking about resources, what resources within the hospital do mm. we have to help children and families be more prepared for the kind of procedures they might be yeah, having? Yeah, we, we do have an in-house TV show called Be Positive, yeah. and as part of that there are some procedural support videos mm. Um, they're actually called A Child's Guide to Hospital mm. and they're all told from the perspective of a child yeah. so it's almost a bit safer as well hearing yeah. it from another kid as opposed to, to an adult and they're all um, sort of two to three minutes long so mm. attention span wise they're not too long Yes, and they, it's also a great tool for staff as well yeah. who um, might want some tips about how to describe certain procedures to children using more child-friendly language so it's a good resource for us too. And it's a good resource just to explain what's going to happen to the child. So just as an example, um, recently in the ED, I had, I think she was six or seven years old, yeah. but she was requiring a finger prick. Mm. And um, the handover I got from the doctor was just that she was getting really distressed at just the thought of, of the finger prick and wanted some child life support. So I basically... Um, just did some quick play just to build up some rapport. And then I showed her the video. I said, look, I understand we're going to be having a finger prick soon. I've actually got a video of another little boy having um, this procedure. Would you like to have a look? And that's what we did. And, again, it's something very, very quick. It just took a, f a couple of minutes. And then I could tell from her facial expression and body language that um, – there were certain parts where she had some questions. So yeah. I paused the video yeah. at that time. I addressed her concerns. We answered the question. So any misconceptions can be addressed before the procedure. Yeah, yeah. And that was enough to relax her because then she understood what was going to happen. And I also had a visual schedule as well, kind of step by step of what was going to happen with the finger prick. And that's um, on nice little laminated cards. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it break, like I guess there's so much that's out of routine and unpredictable. Mm. So a visual schedule of what's going to happen is just an example where um, we can add some more predictability yeah. um, to that procedure, just breaking it down step by step. And then after that, like she was completely fine. I, I thought... Um, I made that assessment with her body language and so forth, just from understanding. Yeah, and seeing what it yeah. would be like. Yeah, and what yeah. I found interesting too, her, the two family members that were with her, they visibly calmed as well by mm. seeing the change in their daughter. Yeah. Yeah. And then they were really happy. You could see them looking at each other going, oh, look, she's okay, you know. And it, it does change the room just changes, knowing. It changes the dynamic. It changes the dynamic yeah. as well. Like we were saying before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then once she's calm and relaxed, then we're able to redirect her of things that are within her control of what she can do so you know what you can choose one of these fingers mm. for your finger mm. prick you choose which one oh you know what let's start practicing wriggling our toes or, or taking those big breaths in yes. and out well what are you going to choose to watch or read you know that also acts as a visual block during the procedure so and she can make those choices oh, because yeah. 
now the fear centre of her brain has come yep. down because she's watched that yeah. that that video. Yeah. And so, if you, I understand also that medical imaging have an app to go through um, their particular um, imaging modalities. Yeah, it's actually called the Oki in Medical Imaging app, yeah. and it's actually free for families to download. So it's also a way, I guess, of giving some power back to the families. Mm. It's something they can download and do yeah. together. They can do that before their child even comes to hospital. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it, just say in an ED setting as well. They might be waiting a few hours before they have a particular yeah. MRI, X-ray, whatever it may be. Um, so just as an example, with the Oki app, um, I was working with a three-and-a-half-year-old where English isn't the first language yes. and um, he was requiring an ultrasound. Mm. So as soon as his old dressing was taken down and an unfamiliar staff member came in with the ultrasound machine, he started to get really, really anxious. Mm. So I just put the Oki app up on the iPad and... Uh, he immediately found the link. So I went to the ultrasound game, mm. which had a little jellyfish and and the child, I guess, has a chance to be the doctor or nurse. Yes. So they're actually there looking for the stars and, and you squirt the jelly and all that sort of stuff and um, just developmentally appropriate games. And he actually saw the link and this is a three and a half year old mm. where English is in the first language and he pointed to the real machine, then pointed to the game mm. on the iPad and he said, same. And that was enough just to relax him and so forth. So... We've got, yeah, these great resources available and, and free to download. Yeah, um, and we should also say that Be Positive can be accessed on the internet. So yeah, definitely. Know, people don't need to be yeah. in the hospital. Or families can also, we have an RCH YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, so the Child's Guide to Hospital videos can be found there as well. And there's a variety of procedures. There's having an IV, there's coming to audiology clinic, mm. coming to dentistry, coming to the ED. Um, yeah. And I guess, you know, the thing is, is that you couldn't use those videos, particularly like the medical imaging ones, mm. you could potentially be using that for children outside RCH as oh, well. Oh, yes, definitely. Because it would be a fairly sort of similar process, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. Well, look, Sophie, that has been remarkably um, helpful to discuss um, what we've spoken about today. What I've really taken from our discussion is that we really need to tailor our approach to each child and family because um, every child is unique um, and, you know, we haven't even really touched on developmental problems, mm. but, you know, we've got patients who have got autism mm. or, as mm. you said, um, English is not their first language. We also spoke about the importance of one voice in keeping procedures calm and not having the child be distracted mm. and the vital um, role of the use of positive language so that we're always seeding positive suggestions and positive outcomes and finally thank you for taking me through um, the resources that we have um, at RCH that people can access um, even outside the hospital so thanks for your time today thanks Amanda thanks for listening please view the description section below for more information on this topic The Education Hub is a collaboration between the Royal Children's Hospital and the University of Melbourne Department of Paediatrics and funded by the RCH Foundation.